Welcome. We're glad that you're here at South Hills Church. Thanks for those of you that are joining us online. If you have been away from South Hills uh, this summer, uh, you're not alone. I have too. So welcome back. We're glad that you're here. I've been away for the last two months on sabbatical and uh, my family and I. And uh, if you're not familiar, the idea of a sabbatical is just a time of rest for those of us in ministry. And uh, the church here has offered, after seven years, you have the opportunity to um, take a sabbatical. And uh, my sabbatical was twofold. Uh, One, I am trying to finish up and complete my doctorate um, in ministry. Yes, thank you. You can encourage and can and encourage. And so part of my time away was to write uh, towards that doctorate. And if any of you have done any kind of writing at, at any point or time, um, it can be both enjoyable and frustrating. Uh, there are days where you'll write two or three words, and there's other days where you write 15 words or 15 pages. And so, uh, or 15 words sometimes, it just depends. Um, so that was, that was part of our time away, but also another part of our time was uh, vacation. Uh, we, our family left uh, the Tri-Cities in the middle of June, and we were gone for a month. And uh, we traveled 8,100 miles and 21 states and 31 days. And the amazing part about that 31 days is we slept in a hotel only eight of those 31 days because we're just so grateful for friends and family along the way and on the way back that we know from coast to coast. We went all the way to the East Coast, Jacksonville, Florida, and Outer Banks, North Carolina. And so we have friends and family across this country. And so to be able to step into their homes and they welcome six of us, and um, the better part of that is they feed us too. So like, that was great. Um, it's, it's a challenge. You bring six people into your house that you're used to having just two, and we're just so grateful for so many people. Um, and so I've been back uh, since Tuesday, and uh, Scott said, you're going to preach on Sunday. And I was like, okay, let's do that. Uh, no, I knew ahead of time and stuff, but I've been in this series on My Verse, My Story, and uh, Pastor Brian kind of broke the mold last week. He did My Passage, My Story um, last week, and so I feel good about doing three verses. Uh, But really what we're doing this summer is just looking at verses uh, that have been impactful for those of us that teach on a regular basis um, and lead within the church. I think it's so important for everyone to understand how impactful God's Word is and has been in our lives. So oftentimes you see us at a place of where we are, uh, but you don't know all the things that have led up to that place. And so uh, I'm at the place of almost 25 years of serving in full-time ministry. Um, I was only like 12 when I started, so that's good. I'm doing really well. Um, And so you look at where I am today, and you could go all the way back to when I was 16 years old, and I preached my first sermon at a youth service in our church uh, back in Illinois, and where I am today, and I'm really not that much better. So, uh, you know, anyway, I kid. Uh, It's been good uh, to be able to hear what's going on and how God's Word has been transformational in people's lives. And so we're going to do that this morning as well as we continue that. And we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Psalm chapter 1. It's easier to find when I was learning how to find books of the Bible. Psalm was the first one I learned because you open up to the middle and there it is. Um, And we'll be in Psalm chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your handout. Um, that you got. And if you don't have the handout, you can watch the screen because it'll be up there as well. But we want to stand as we honor God's word with the reading of it this morning. Psalm chapter one, beginning with verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, the blessed person, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. All right, you can have a seat. So this morning, as we kind of look at this passage, uh, you need to understand a couple of things about me. Uh, I'm a church kid. Uh, my mom and dad were new believers when I came into this world, and they were already involved in church. Uh, my mom was a piano player and organist, and my dad was just kind of whatever needed to be done. My dad was available and willing to do that. And so at an early at, at birth, I was in the nursery, I was in the crib, and so people were singing Jesus Loves Me before I even knew um, what that really meant. And uh, I've grown up in church. 
I've always been in church, and that is part of my foundation. That's part of my story. It's unique to Matthew Houston, and that may not be your story, but it is mine. And so that's the groundwork for when I look at this passage and start to understand what the psalmist is writing about. Um, Because as a kid growing up in church, uh, I learned lots of things. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, But when I discovered this passage of Scripture, I was a young adult. I was actually in seminary at the time, and uh, someone, you know, kind of pointed out this passage, and for the first time was reading it with a different sense of what God was trying to teach through that passage. And so, for the remainder of my life up to this point, this has been a huge uh, passage for me. In fact, in my office, I have a framed artwork uh, that's there. It has this passage on it. It has uh, a gentleman sitting by the stream, and then it has kind of this uh, optical illusion of Jesus's face. And it just kind of has followed me in ministry in my office and just reminds me of the importance of this passage. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at. And the first thing I want you to see in this verse one is that um, there is a path to be chosen. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Um, and there are paths to be chosen. Really, there's only two paths that Scripture talks about. And as the psalmist talks about it, he says, he uses this word blessed, and uh, he opens that with it. We'll see it later in Psalm as well. There's other passages in Psalm where blessed is used. Um, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus even talks about the idea of blessed. Um, and so often we confuse the idea of blessed in our culture, in our day, with thinking that if I just go to church, God's going to bless me with like new car, a uh, new house, uh, somebody's going to mow my lawn, those kinds of things. We think in terms of how it relates to me uh, and what I might get from this relationship with God. And the Jewish people would have seen this blessed a little bit differently in the Old Testament as, as they were thinking about it. They saw blessed as this deep happiness that comes with their intimacy with their Creator, with God. That being blessed was, this blessed was that I was, were, was able to enjoy this communion with my Creator. And so when the psalmist writes, blessed is the one, he's really talking about blessed is the one who has this deep, intimate communication and relationship with God. And I think that transforms everything when we start thinking in terms of that, and that it reflects less about me and more about who God is. And so the first thing that we see about these paths that are chosen is that um, there are really just two paths for us to choose. Now, we might think there are multiple kinds of things, but really when Scripture talks about it, there are two paths. Jesus talks about it later in Matthew chapter 7. He says, there's a wide path and lots of people choose that path. And there's a narrow path and less people choose that path. But let me share with you that the wide path leads to destruction and the narrow path leads to righteousness with God. So early in Scripture, we see that there are paths to be chosen and really what the Scriptures set out are two paths. So in my life, uh, I, had, I had the crossroads. Like every young adult, every person that is graduating high school and moving into that next season of their lives, um, I was finishing up high school, graduating, and wondering, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And so all my friends, they're going to college. Okay, I'll go to college too. And so I send my applications in. Uh, I, I, was, I was so... you know, ready to go to college. I sent my application to two colleges. That's how ready I was. And uh, I sent to two colleges. One of them was two hours away uh, from my parents uh, where I was living, and the other one was just 20 minutes away. And uh, I chose the 20 minutes. Uh, I chose that school and made the choice. And when my first, first year in college, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I think I'm going to teach. And uh, as I thought more about that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to teach. I want to be a history teacher, secondary ed, a high school teacher. And, 
And man, I, I started thinking about all these grandiose things about how awesome I was going to be at it, um, how the students were going to love me, how the, the staff at the school was going to be so grateful that I was there and on staff. The principal was like, we've never had a teacher like you. And uh, I just started having all of these dreams, this path of what I felt like I was going to do. And, and so I did that. I was going through college and, and I was pursuing that and I, was, I graduated with honors. My student teaching in the uh, spring of my senior year was exceptional. I was like blown away by the teachers that received me and then by my professors who were like, Matthew, you're doing an awesome job. That's, you're so great. And so when I graduated from college, I was like, this is cake. Like, this is going to be easy. And uh, it didn't turn out to be that way. And I was choosing a path of my own making, and I had this notion in the back of my mind that put God in there with just a little bit of seasoning. God, I'm going to pursue this. This is my path, and uh, if you let me do that and bless me in that, then this is what's going to, this is what I'll do on the flip side of that. And I made these barters with God that said I would teach during the day and then I would serve at the church at night. Wow, I just have this, this back and forth with young minds, with their you know, knowledge of history, but then also shining God's light in, in their lives as well. And so this summer after my uh, senior year of college, I sat uh, sending resumes out and interviewing and again, still thinking, man, these guys are going to love me. These people, when they, the principal and superintendent, they're, I mean, it's just going to be, here, here you go, Matthew, here's the offer, and here you come. And it wasn't anything like that. The next year, I just sat there waiting for the next opportunity or an interview or anything that would happen. And that whole year, I was miserable. I was, I was challenging God by saying, why, this is what I wanted to do, and you're not blessing it, and you're not moving in the way that I want you to do. And, and we fought back and forth, and I was just miserable. I ended up the following summer in a temp job, in a job recruiting office. I was filing papers, and I was answering phones, and I was being a personal assistant in many ways, and, and still just really miserable and angry. And then a friend of mine who was a pastor visited at our house one day, and he sat me down, and he said, Matthew, Let's talk about this. We've, I've been hearing stories and different things. You're, you're contemplating different things. What's going on there? And he pointed me towards the fact that, yes, you had a path, but ultimately you were choosing a path that was wired by you. This is the interesting thing about the, what the psalmist writes about this path of wickedness. Um, as a young adult, I wouldn't have said that I was pursuing a path of wickedness. I wouldn't have said that what I was doing was completely wrong. I was pursuing a dream and pursuing the things that, that I wanted, but I was doing all those things selfishly in pursuit of that and apart from God. I would sprinkle him in every once in a while. And this is an interesting thing about what the psalmist writes about in this path of wicked. And if you're not familiar with the path of wicked, let me just share with you a couple of examples of what this path looks like. The path of, wicked, uh, of the wicked rejects wisdom. And in Proverbs, we read these words, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, again, I was a church kid. I knew the path that what people had taught me and different things. But man, when it comes to the path of wicked or evil or destruction, um, it's easy to reject wisdom. It's easy to reject what other people are telling you, like, Matthew, maybe this is a, a season of crossroads of maybe deciding something else or where you might go. And, and they may have been in the best interest of God's wisdom trying to share that with me, but I was intent on rejecting, rejecting that completely. Yes, maybe ministry was out there, but man, I was Jonah in so many senses of the word that I wanted to reject that call and follow my own things. And that's what the path of wickedness often does, is that it rejects wisdom. Oh, you can hear it over here, but you're sure going to reject it. The second thing that the path of wicked is like is that it ridicules sin. And we see this in our culture today. It's so easy to just pass off sin as nothingness. Um, it's okay to do this. It's all right to do this. It's okay to live here. It's okay to do that. What's the real big deal? You're not really hurting anybody. And in fact, sin doesn't even exist. 
there's nothing really wrong. It's just a, a choice that you're making. And so they ridicule this path of wickedness, will ridicule sin and tell you this lie that what you're doing is fine and dandy. It's okay. And I was believing so much of that. I was, I was believing that what I was choosing was not really sin. It was just uh, my choice, my decision. And yet, all the while, what I was really doing was ridiculing the, the sin that already was existing in my life. Proverbs says this about this. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. So we see that the path of wicked ridicule sin. The third thing that we see about the path of the wicked is that it relies on oneself. And this is probably the greatest challenge to each of us, that when it comes to this path of wicked, though we wouldn't necessarily name it that way, you might say, Matthew, that's a little harsh this morning, but it's the truth of what God's Word says is that it really does become a reliance on myself. I can do this. I can get the job that I want. I can be the teacher that everybody wants. I can do these things, and I can do them because I've got all the knowledge, all the understanding, and I'm really uh, better than anything, than anything else out there. And I rely on myself. I can rely on myself to make things better. That's, that's part of the challenge of who we are and our selfish ambitions of things. We think, well, I will make that happen. I will be better. I will be uh, the best at those things. And the path of wicked belie- leads us to believe those things. And they're really just lies that Satan throws at us. Look what it says in Proverbs again. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Uh, Proverbs is really good about setting out the foolish and the wise. And in Proverbs 12 says, the fool seem what they do, their ways seems right to them. And we can look at our world today and we can say, whatever is out there, many people are saying, this is the way that it looks right to me. And so please don't try to tell me what to do. And this is the path of wicked that the psalmist relates. The fourth thing that we see about this path of wicked is that it rouses deceit and lying. It rouses within us this deception and lie. Look what Proverbs says again. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. I don't know why we are surprised by a world that lies to us constantly. I don't know why we're surprised that there is constantly lies in front of us. We hear it all the time. This person is lying to us. This is lying to us. I don't know why we're surprised by that because Scripture tells us that this world is ruled by the father of lies. He's full of deceit. He's full of chaos. And yet we act surprised. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they, that, that person lied to us. Or I lied to myself. I can't believe that would happen. And the reality is who we are in our human nature is deceitful and we're full of lies. And the path of the wicked consistently tries to push us towards that path. He wants us to believe those lies, wants us to believe that path is going to be prosperous, it's going to be fulfilling, it's going to be full of so many things, and yet at the end it just leaves us withered and dying and wondering what happened. While we were away this, uh, this summer, we had the chance to, as a family, to go to Arches National Park. That's in Moab, Utah. And uh, at Arches, there is uh, the Delicate Arch. And so if you ever see a Utah state uh, license plate, you'll see the Delicate Arch on there. And as a family, we had decided that we were going to go into Arches, but we probably weren't going to go to Delicate Arch. It was a couple miles to hike into it. Um, it was hot. We have our youngest, Mackenzie. She's four years old. And we're like, well, we use her as an excuse. Like, she's not going to be able to do that um, and stuff. And so we pull into the parking lot uh, at uh, Arches. And uh, from the parking lot, this was the path uh, up to Delicate Arch. And I, you can't see it in, your, in here, but these little specks are people. And uh, they're hiking up to Delicate Arch. And so we're standing down here in, um, in the parking lot. And this was our reaction um, to this. Libby had it right. Like, that path, man, is too much. I don't know that we want to do that. It's, it's getting hot. We, you know, all these kinds of things. Again, we have a four-year-old. Can she really do it? Um, but we decided, even we had decided beforehand we weren't going to do it when we got there. I said, come on. 
We are here. We have got to do this. And uh, Libby's reaction is, I think, sometimes how we should react to the path of wickedness. But it's not the reaction that we often have. We don't look at the path of wickedness and say, oh, that's terrible. I shouldn't go that way. While we're on the path, walking up along the path, and we visited a couple of national parks, and some of the paths were paved, my favorite. Some of them were like this, where it was like climbing these steep um, hills and rocks structures and different things, but everywhere along the paths, there were signs that said, stay on the path. Don't get off the path, because if you get off the path, you don't know what you're going to encounter. And from the path, I would look at those signs and I'd say, really? I mean, it's desert. It's dry. What really could be on the other side of that sign that would be of danger to me? I mean, how much do the park rangers really know about the places where they're serving, right? That they would put these signs here. And so if I'm foolish enough to think that way, I would look at those signs and say, I'm just going to do my own thing. And who cares what the path is? I'm going over here, not knowing of what danger could lie on the other side of that path. There could have been snakes. There could have been bears. There could have been uh, alligators when we were in Florida. Who knows what there could have been? Um, But the rangers knew, but it's foolish for me to think, well, I'm here. I've been here for like 30 minutes. I know these paths. I know that there's probably nothing on there, so let's go. Um, And what kind of model that would be for my kids? All right, we made it to Delicate Arch. We got to see it, and uh, it was beautiful. Mackenzie, our four-year-old, she's a trooper. She did that whole hike with us back and forth. Um, Never once did she complain, and I didn't even have to carry her a whole bunch either. Um, But when it comes to the paths that we choose, rarely do we react like, oh, I don't know if I want to go that path. Ultimately, what happens is we find ourselves on that path without even thinking about it. We've, dis- we've discarded the warning signs. We've said, oh, there couldn't really be dangers on that side of the sign. Does God really know best about the path I should take? Because I really think I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty good at or- orchestrating my life. And we ignore those warning signs, and before we know it, the path that we've chosen has taken us far, far away from God. And that's what was happening in my own life. I was finding myself far away from God, and uh, it took a moment of just reconnecting with Him to find Him again. And this is what we find in verse 2 of our passage, and that is we find a place to delight. Look what he says in verse 2. But the blessed one, but his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, uh, this word delight is, uh, this is what has been impactful for me because it was one of those words that you don't really see in Scripture very often. But when I came across it, I was like, delight in the law of the Lord. Delight in God's word. This was, it started to hit me really hard. And I don't know if you go through life and you find your place uh, find yourself in places of struggle or different things like that. And somebody will come to you and they'll be like, "Uh, what you need to do is find your happy place, right? You've got to find your happy place. For some of you here in the Pacific Northwest, your happy place is the Oregon coast. That's your happy place. Like you go and it can be windy, rainy, cold, and you're like, I love the beach. And I'm like, what? That's not the beach. Like that's cold. You can't even swim in the ocean. That's not any fun. Uh, For me, here's my happy place. My place to delight. This is my happy place. We are in Laurel, Mississippi. Um, this, is, this is my family, my crew. Um, if you don't know Laurel, Mississippi, there's a, a couple on HGTV. They do hometown, Ben and Aaron, and we got to visit their hometown and felt like superstars or whatever. Um, but it's not about the billboard. It's about these five people right here that are with me. This is where I find delight. Uh, we traveled 8,100 miles in our Honda Pilot uh, we made it. Our car survived the whole thing. I, w- I don't want you to think that my family is perfect or that on that trip we didn't have trouble uh, inside the car. I have four kids. They all have their own personalities. Um, you have mom and dad who have their own personalities. Um, I'm not to say that we didn't have times where we had to have family meetings and say, hey, tomorrow when we get in the car, here's what's going to happen, uh, those kinds of things. But what I want you to see in that for my story and for where I am, these five people represent my delight. 
They are the delight of my life. I love watching my kids grow up and seeing them pursue the things that they love. They are, it's a delight for me as a dad to watch that. And I know I have many more, hopefully many more years to watch that happen. But the other side of that, as much as I delight in my family, what I discovered as a young adult is that I could find delight in God's Word. Because you see what happened when I was 16, uh, my home church, small Baptist church, if we had 200 people on a Sunday morning, we were feeling really good uh, about it. And, uh, but most of the people that served our church were volunteers. We had one pastor, a secretary, that was our staff, and everybody else was volunteers. And our youth, pa- a youth director for our church had been volunteering for many, many years. Uh, and when I was 16, he decided that it was time for him to step away and do some other things within the church. And so we were left without a youth director. And so that summer was approaching, and my friends came to me and said, Matthew, we want you to lead a Bible study for us. I said, great. Now, remember, I told you, I've grown up in church. I know all the stories. I know Jonah and the whale. I know, I know Joan of Arc was with Noah. I know all of those things. Uh, <laughs> Wait, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes. Noah, anyway, Jonah, and I know all of those stories, and, uh, but I had never read God's Word in depth. So my friends came to me and said, Matthew, we want you to lead a Bible study. And I was like, what do I, how do I lead a Bible study? Nobody had shown me how to lead a Bible study or how you would do that. And so we were on a family vacation to Florida uh, when I was 16 years old. And I'm sure you do this when you're on family vacations. You find the, the Bible bookstore or the Christian bookstore. That's what we did. Um, and we walked in there and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm getting ready to lead this Bible study. Maybe I could find something to help me. And I picked up this Bible this serendipity Bible. And I knew it was the Bible I needed because it says this, the NIV serendipity Bible for study groups. For study, that's what I was going to do. I'm going to lead a Bible study, and this is for study groups. And then I opened it up, and I discovered that uh, not only did it have Scripture, but it had questions along the margins that went along with each passage of Scripture. I was like, I'm golden. I know how to lead a Bible study now. I've got my serendipity Bible. I'm going to, you know, we're going to do this. And and so I said, yeah, I'll lead this Bible study. So every week during the summer, my mom would make chocolate chip cookies, and I would lead this Bible study for my peers. And what I discovered was a delight for God's Word for the first time in my life. Because not only was I preparing a study for my peers, I was spending time in God's Word. I was finding out things in Scripture that I didn't know existed in Scripture beyond the Jonah and the Noah and David and Goliath and Jesus in the New Testament and the disciples. I was discovering there was a whole bunch of stories that our Sunday school teachers had never told us. Learned about a left-handed man who who killed a king because he was left-handed. Like, that was amazing to discover those kinds of things, that detail in Scripture. And I found delight in God's Word each week as I prepared for that study with my peers. Because I didn't want to just teach them. I wanted something that was going to impact their lives and meet us where we were. And it's in that moment that God started to to form inside of me a delight for His Word that I continue to carry today. One of the things I'm most passionate about is getting people to discover God's Word and to delight in it. Because I know when you delight in God's Word, when you spend time in God's Word, not just on a Sunday morning and hope through, through whatever is said that you're going to absorb all of that and it's going to change your life. No, it's when we sit, when we meditate on God's Word, when we really soak it in, that transformation begins to take place. It's the truth of God's Word that begins to transform us. It's been something around South Hills for, for many, many years that God's Word in us changes us. And I believe that wholeheartedly because I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen that transformation take place in my own life as I started to delight in God's Word. And so this morning, when we delight in God's Word, it gives us this second path that we see, the path of delight. The path of delight revels in God's wisdom. I, I don't know about you, but I, I do sometimes think I'm a pretty smart guy. And then I go to God's Word and I discover what a fool I am. And then I find that I can revel in God's wisdom. 
I can rest, I can understand His Word, and I can see Him in the light that He is, in His goodness, and His grace, and His love, and His mercy, and His justice. And we need to find that. If we're going to choose the path of delight, we need to once again revel in God's wisdom. Look what Proverbs said, the passage we looked at earlier. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs says, this is where I begin. I begin by reveling in God's wisdom. For each of us, that's where it begins. Second thing that we see in this path of delight is that it reflects on God's Word. If I'm going to choose the path of delight opposed to the path of wicked, I want to delight in God's Word. I want to reflect on God's Word. I'm not just going to read it on Sunday morning, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to absorb it as much as I can. Uh, There used to be this old practice, wives' tale, myth, whatever you want to call it, when I was in school that if I was studying for a test, I could just take my science book, science least favorite, math too. I was never very good at it. Um, If I took those books, I stuck it under my pillow and slept on them all night through osmosis, right? I would absorb that. See, I wasn't very good at science, right? How foolish, right, to think of that. Sometimes I think that's how we approach God's Word. We think that through osmosis, because somebody's teaching you or, or you see it on a bumper sticker or whatever, that somehow that's going to get ingrained into our minds and to our hearts, and that's really not the case. It only comes when I'm reflecting on God's Word that I start to truly delight in it and begin to find the path of delight. Look what Proverbs says again. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. So I am in pursuit of this delight of what God and His will has for my life. All right, third we see in this path of delight. It receives God's guidance. If I'm going to choose this path of delight, I'm going to receive God's God's guidance. And God's guidance, we'll look at in just a minute, God's guidance is not always what we plan for. My path of teaching high school history, maybe being an administrator, all those kinds of things, they went by the wayside. As I started to listen to God's guidance, it was a totally different path that He began to lay out for me. A path that led me to a wonderful church in Louisville, Kentucky, where I was able to serve for 15 years. It led me on a path to meet my future wife, Miranda. It led me on a path that blessed me with four wonderful kids and led me ultimately to South Hills. But it's only because I was listening to God's guidance, only because I was listening and wanting to be obedient to where God would guide me and lead me. Look what Proverbs says again. The way of fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Just like on those paths that we walk. If I look at that sign and I say, well, those rangers aren't very smart. I'll just ignore them. I'm going to find danger. God says, I have beautiful wisdom to provide for you that is a path towards delight. And it just requires us to be receptive to that, to receive that from him and his guidance. All right, fourth thing that we see. The path of delight rests in God's care. Rests in God's care. God is not looking to menace you with all kinds of things. But Scripture is very clear that there is going to be times of of trouble and suffering and chaos at times in our lives. And what God's Word shows us and what I can delight in is that I can find rest in His care. I can find rest in that. One of the beautiful things about being away for the last two months is the opportunity to find rest uh, in different places. Whether I was at a coffee shop or I was at the library or I was in different places around the country, there's an opportunity to find rest and not just physical rest, but spiritual rest as well. A rest that says, "I, I am not having to carry everybody's burdens because God is caring for those as well. I don't even have to carry my own burdens and and struggles. God wants to care for those as well. Look what he says in Proverbs. Again, the plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The plans of the righteous are just. When we seek the path of delight, we can rest in God's care in and through that. Oh, it, it may seem obscure at times, that path that God is laying out for us, But life has told me that as he lays that out for us, he is going to care for us. He is going to make a way for us um, because that's who he is. 
It's in the nature of who God is. And so there is a place to delight. The last thing we see this morning is that there is a purpose to grow. Look what he says in verse 3. In verse 3, he says this. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, When I was six years old, my parents got a pool, uh, above ground pool, 15 foot uh, pool. They had been waiting for a time. In my early years, the first five years of my life, I was in and out of the hospital. I had multiple surgeries on my feet. And so lots of summers I spent in a cast or in a brace or something that a pool was just not an option for me. Um, and so at, at six, I was finished with most of my surgeries. And so my parents were like, we've got this pool. Let's set it up. Um, Matthew's going to enjoy it. And I fell in love with the water. I love water. I love swimming. Uh, I love spending time in the water. I've had the privilege of being able to be uh, in the Pacific Ocean. I've been in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, I've been in the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, on our trip, I had the opportunity to once again step into uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, this is Mackenzie, my four-year-old. This is me. This is the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, where we were on the Atlantic Ocean, the waves are, are big uh, and so there wasn't really a, a good opportunity to swim, although I would have, had I been a single guy, um, I would have swam uh, in those waves and stuff. But there were lots of riptides, so my kids were worried that I was going to get pulled away into the riptides and never come back, or a shark would get me, one of those two. Um, and so we just stood on the water. And uh, for the longest time, I just stood uh, in the sand, and you sink into the sand, and then the water hits you. And then you're watching as these waves are coming, and um, you're like, that's a pretty big one. We'll see what happens. And then it knocks you over, and you're covered. You're just engulfed in all of this water. And uh, I would laugh. My kids were scared. They're like, Dad, get up, get up, get up. And I'd be like, I'm fine. I'll be all right. I know to swim parallel with the shore. I know what to do, Uh, and those kinds of things. But I just stood there for hours as the waves would hit me, and I closed my eyes, and I was thinking about this verse 3 as I was standing there and as I was letting these waves just wash over me and some with great force. And I was thinking, man, God is so powerful in those waves. And then it would wash over me and I would think, man, God is so good in his grace and his mercy. And it would just wash over me. And before I knew it, everybody were ready to go and stuff. And I'm like, I could stay here forever. And I think this is what the psalmist is writing in verse 3, something that he understood that we need to understand as well is that when we plant ourselves by the stream of living water, it is just like that. When we plant ourselves next to Jesus, to the God who loves us and cares for us and wants us to to delight in who he is, man, it's like a wave that just rushes over us. It just covers us, and there is refreshing and renewal and all this that comes with that. I've, I've had the fortune of living next to a river everywhere in my life. I'm 49 years old. I was, when I was growing up, I lived next to the Kankakee River, a river that feeds into the Mississippi River. When we were in Louisville, Kentucky, we were on the Ohio River. Um, I don't recommend swimming in that river. It's a mess. But anyway, um, I lived on the Ohio River, and here I live in the Columbia. That that isn't lost on me when it comes to this passage, that God is calling each of us to plant ourselves next to the stream of living water. Because he knows that when we plant ourselves next to the stream of living water, there is fruit that bears out of that, but also there's no chance of withering and dying when we plant ourselves in those good roots. Uh, while we were away, not only did we get the Atlantic Ocean, but we got to experience the Ark Encounter um, in Kentucky. Here's a picture. We went with some dear friends of ours, love them to death, uh, the Arvins and stuff. But this is uh, the Ark in, um, in Kentucky. It's in northern Kentucky. It's full-scale Ark, okay, just like you read about it in Scripture. And uh, it's three stories. Um, There were thousands of people there. I felt like one of the animals being shoved onto the ark while we were there. But anyways, it's a great experience. Great detail on the outside, great detail on the inside. And what I want to do these last few things is share with you three things about God's purposes. And I think they're reflective in the story of Noah. There are several things when you think about Noah and what he was called to do and God's purpose. It just was 
outside the box of so many things. Um, and uh, so just three things that I think I've learned, I feel like I've learned uh, in God's purpose. And the first is that when you don't know what you're doing, God does. I think this is so important for us to understand. We think we have to figure everything out about being a follower of Jesus. We need to figure it out. I've got to have it on three by five note cards, and I've got to memorize it and all these kinds of things. And as soon as I get that, then I will get there and I will be able to do it. And the reality is there are lots of times that I don't know what I'm doing. In 25 years of ministry, I've done it well, I've done it poorly. There are other times where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. I preached that first sermon. I don't know if I did it well, but my mom still talks about it like moms do. And so I must have done something. Here's how I know that this is true. When I led that Bible study when I was 16 years old, there was a girl in that Bible study with us. We were dating at the time. Her name was not Miranda, but anyways, that's a dating history, just a little bit. Her name uh, was Gina, and we were dating at the time, and so she started coming to the Bible study with us because I was leading it, and we were dating at the time. And then she started coming to church with us. And we're, I was teaching these Bible studies, and you know, you never know what's going to happen or what's going to transpire. We ended up breaking up, and life has gone on and different things, and she's faced all kinds of different things in her life. But uh, back in January, when I was home for my dad's funeral, uh, she was there, um, and it was great to see her 30 years later. And she said uh, to me in the line as I was, we were receiving people, she said, Matthew, I just want to thank you. I was like, Okay. I just want to thank you for the seed that was planted back in those Bible studies that you were leading when you were 16 years old and I was 14 years old. And um, I just want you to know that God was planting a seed there. It didn't take hold right then, but now at this place in my life, uh, I know Jesus. I love him with all my heart. My family does. My family's been transformed because of Christ in our lives. He saved our marriage. All of these different things. And recently they moved to, her family moved to Jacksonville, Florida to pursue ministry and where they felt like God was calling them in Jacksonville, from Illinois to Jacksonville, Florida. When I was leading that Bible study, I didn't know what I was doing, but God did. And whatever he's doing in your life, you may not understand it. You may not even be doing it well. You may, you may be stumbling and bumbling all over it, but here's what I know in my life, that if God is in it, he knows what he's doing. You can trust him because he's good at that, all right? The second thing I think about God's purpose is this. Faith comes with risk, but also great rewards for the kingdom of God. Uh, faith is risky. I don't know if you understand this, but it's, it takes a lot of risk to say, I believe in something I cannot touch. I believe in something that is not physically in front of me. I believe with all of my heart that I'm going to surrender my life to a God who cares about me and loves me and offers forgiveness to me. That's risky to do that. At our church in Kentucky, when we were there, uh, again, had the chance to serve there for 15 years, we were in need of a custodian. And uh, so there was a new family at our church. The wife was coming on a regular basis, but the husband was far away from God. He was uh, in the bars on the weekend. He was, he's a singer, he's a phenomenal singer. And so he was doing shows on the weekend and he had no desire to be with her on Sunday morning. And, uh, but we needed a custodian and he needed a job. And so as a staff, we talked about it. And we were like, uh, well, he's not a believer. Should we ask him to be our custodian? Like, how weird is that, right? Uh, why wouldn't we invite the unbeliever into our church family and stuff? And so some in our, church, our staff were like, I don't know, that's kind of risky. And some of us are like, let's do it. Let's go for it. And so we invited Alan into our, our church and into our family. He became our custodian and he worked the day shift and he was there all the time during the day. And so he got to interact with many of us on a regular basis. We started having lunch. Um, he's a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I'm a Chicago Cub fan. So we hit it off right away, um, if you know how those two things go. Uh, but we had something to talk about when it came to baseball and different things like that. And over time, he got to see believers in a different setting in a way that it was personable. It was you and me just talking like friends. And over time, Alan uh, gave his life to Jesus. 
10 years ago, he was baptized at our church in Kentucky. And uh, just an amazing transformation, not only for him, but for his family as well. Their, their marriage reconciled, and they're, they're in a healthy place today, and so privileged to have been a part of his journey and his story. Uh, when we were back in Kentucky uh, just a few weeks ago, I watched at the end of the service as a, a gentleman walked down to the altar and started praying. And I saw Alan step out of his seat and he walked up and he knelt down beside this other gentleman and began praying with him. And I thought, that's God at work. And that's when faith is risky, God's reward for the kingdom is great. And so why wouldn't we risk at times to see God's fruit in that? The last thing that I've learned in life as far as God's purpose is it often won't look like you thought it would. 12 years ago, I wouldn't have told you anything about Kennewick, Washington. This is not where we were going to be. Um, I didn't even know really where it was, to be honest. Um, I was probably like most people who think we live in the rainforest of Seattle and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't know where it was. And uh, God began to move 12 years ago uh, in my life. I started meeting with another guy who was a new believer, and he and I started meeting on a regular basis for lunch, because uh, I like to do things over food. Um, that's just who I am. And uh, we started talking, and I thought, man, I'm going to mentor him, and this is going to be great. He's just going to be stronger and better because of my influence in his life. And what he began to teach me was something that I needed to see. And what God started to stir in me is a, a discontent, a holy discontent, I feel like, of where we were in Kentucky great church, great family. They had raised me. I was a single guy when I arrived at that church. I left there married with three kids, um, and uh, they're just a great church family. They still receive us so well when we go back there and uh, get to share our life with them. Um, but we felt like God was moving us. And so nine years ago in May, uh, Jim and Phil called me on the phone, and I sat in a parking lot and took the first phone call of what it might be to come to Kennewick, Washington and South Hills Church. And truth be told, when I had that conversation with them, um, I really was unsure about what the position was. Uh, I had put my name out to lots of different churches, and there were lots of different positions that were out there. And I had to ask Jim and Phil, exactly what is it that you're looking for um, in that interview on the phone, because <laughs> I didn't know exactly. Uh, I couldn't remember. And so we took that interview, and two months later, um, my family was moving out to Kennewick, Washington. My wife was familiar with it because she and her family had stopped at the Denny's on 395 when they were traveling from Spokane uh, to Vancouver. I don't know if any of your families have had that experience before or not, but that's where her dad always stopped. So she was familiar a little bit with it, um, but we moved to Kennewick, Washington. It was not what we thought it was going to be. Uh, we thought we were going to stay in Kentucky. We would raise our kids there. We would be there till retirement. There was nothing that was truly moving us away from that. But that conversations with my friend, uh, Sean, started to move in me something that I knew that God needed to do in me. And he moved us out here. And over the next nine years, we've planted ourselves here at at South Hills. And we're grateful for our, our time here and the seasons that we have here. And this time of sabbatical prepares me for the next season here at South Hills and what God is going to do, what fruit he's going to bear, and what uh, places he's going to take us uh, over the next few years. And it's refreshing to know that, but it doesn't look anything like that. In fact, if I was to take you back all the way to my 16-year-old self, um, I wouldn't be right here. I wouldn't even be standing and teaching God's word on a regular basis. I'd still be doing my thing, maybe in a school, maybe as a teacher of history or political science or whatever. But my story has led me to this place. And I'm so grateful, so thankful, nine years ago that we, were, we took the risk in faith to come here and to see what God would do with us and how he would move in and through us. And I encourage you that these are, these are from my story. They may relate to yours, but they really come out of my story and where I've seen God at work. There's a connection point between Psalm chapter 1 and I believe what Jesus talks about in John 15. And I want to leave us this morning with these words from John chapter 15. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. You, you, you need to know 
you need to know that there is no greater love that any person has for you than God has for you. He loves you desperately. He loves you deeply. And he wants you to remain in him. He, he continues on. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I, as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. This deep commitment to God's word, to remain in it. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then the last one, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Church, I want you to find delight in God's word because it's in God's word where we can grow good roots. Not roots that are our making, but roots that are God's making. And as we remain in his word, as we remain in his love, we not only grow good roots individually, but we grow good roots corporately as well. And those roots then bear fruit in this community that are, bring glory to God's kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father God, we rest in the promise of your word. There are times when we read your word and it is challenging to the very core of who we are. It causes us to question and wonder why and yet we know in the goodness of who you are that your wisdom is ultimately that which helps us to persevere, to press forward through the struggles, the strife, the anxieties, the sufferings that we might experience, that we can hold fast to you. Father, this morning, there may be those that are here this morning and they've never chosen a path to follow you. They've chosen their way, and their way has left them um, destroyed in so many different ways, covered with so many scars and wounds. And they step into this place this morning, and you're reminding them that you love them, you care for them, you have a new path for them. And so, Father, this morning, there's nothing magical in the prayer that we pray. It just simply is a recognition that I am a sinner that I am far away from you and through your grace and your love and your forgiveness, you rescue me and you set me on a new path, a new creation that is being built and grown through you. Father, for those of us that have maybe walked with you for a long time, but our delight is, has waned. It's merely a flicker in our daily lives. We've lost touch with you and the blessing that it is to have an intimate deep relationship with you. And so we pray this morning that you would just reignite, you would ignite that delight in your word, that it would not be drudgery, that it would not be something that we, we, we push away and say, I don't need it, but it's something that we truly plant ourselves by the stream of living water to let it wash over us on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a minute-by-minute basis. Father, as a church body, we want to be those that reflect the delight of who you are to this community, to the world around us. Those that are in Honduras this morning, as they share the delight of who you are with others there in Honduras, whether it's in the bush of Indonesia and translating your word into a common language for the people to hear for the first time the delight that comes from knowing you for our brothers and sisters who serve all over this great country and this great world, who preach this gospel, who share the delight of who you are. Father, may your name be great, not only corporately, but individually. May the path that we choose be one that delights in you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.